welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast. A one-time cast member, a long-time visitor, and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, Dave brings you his unique perspective on the Walt Disney World Resort. The music you're hearing on this podcast is actually from a friend of the show named Craig Brown. You can check him out at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA, as in Apple, or MySpace.com slash SoundA. Craig does a number of different things. Uh, This particular piece is called A Major Suspension, Suspended Glory. So please, do check him out, and we thank Craig for his music. Throughout the show, we ask that there be no eating, drinking, smoking, or flash photography. So please keep your hands and arms inside the moving vehicle at all times, and enjoy the show. Thank you! Hey, it's Dave again, coming to you with another fun Disney podcast. How is everybody doing today? Well, I've been talking for a while about doing a podcast specifically about Pleasure Island and some of the things that were in Pleasure Island. See, the thing was, back when it opened, I was a college student. And for most of the time after it opened, I was uh, in graduate school, so I was over 21 and uh, was able to enjoy all that uh, Pleasure Island had to offer. Now, living in Orlando, there were a couple of places you could go. One of the big places was Church Street Station, which was in downtown Orlando, and had a number of different theme restaurants and clubs that you could go to. And the other one was uh, Pleasure Island. And personally, I found Pleasure Island to just be a pleasure. It was a lot of fun to be there. So I used to go there pretty frequently. And so I'd like to tell you a little bit about Pleasure Island and what it was like to be there and uh, some of the things that I used to do. But before I get to that, I wanted to take a trip back in time a little bit to talk about the... uh, Disney Village Marketplace, and originally it was called Lake Buena Vista's Shopping Village, and it opened in 1975. And the object of the place was really to look at, uh, to give people an opportunity to go and shop and do something different. Remember at the time there was only the Magic Kingdom and the Contemporary and the Polynesian Resorts, and there was a couple of other hotels on uh, Hotel Row that were being built, and there was, I think the Treehouse Villas came shortly after that, and there was a couple of other places, Fort Wilderness was there, and There were some other activities that you could do. But in keeping with the concept of this being a destination where people could go and spend their time, the Disney company wanted to create something that was, quote, uh, restful shopping atmosphere similar to a New England seaside village. And so they wanted to create something like that, and that's where they were going. They opened a few shops that were kind of unique. Uh, So they had a wine cellar, a tobacco shop, a pharmacy, a pet store. And then small kiosks where you could watch uh, craftspeople making candles, pottery, candy, blown glass, a number of other things uh, that were there. So they had all these vendors in there uh, providing merchandise. They had a couple of stores uh, that were uh, sold some Disney merchandise. They had some plush toys and things like that in there. Um, it uh, changed over time, and they added in the uh, Empress Lily on the, uh, on the side there and uh, put that in place and uh, serve some food in there. And at one point had a, a character breakfast in the, uh, in the Empress Lily uh, that featured a number of the dif- different Disney characters. One of the shops on the end uh, was called Captain Jack's. And uh, in that, they used to have the uh, Chef Mickey's character uh, meals uh, before they moved over to the Contemporary Resort. So it was really something that was kind of fun and uh, very different uh, in that sense. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing was... Um, there was a lot of different, just a lot of different things that were there, and uh, you know, if you look at look at some of the things that that were there, you know, they had shoe stores, and uh, they had um, imaginative gifts inspired by nature to read and wear. There was a slide that they called the village slide. Uh, it was like these covered climbing tubes that were like made of wood. They were a lot of fun, uh, fun to climb around in uh, as a youngster. 
good time and just a just a lot of a lot of fun to kind of hang around. They used to have different uh, shops and restaurants that showed up there. Some would come, some would go, but you know you could kind of wander in and out of these different shops. So when I was growing up, we used to go up to uh, Walt Disney World and we'd hit the Magic Kingdom. So you'd go up for maybe a three day trip and you'd spend two days in the Magic Kingdom, and then on your third day you'd go over to Downtown Disney or the Disney Village Marketplace and hang around for a while and uh, just kind of tool around there for a little bit and then head home later in the day. So it was kind of a way to kind of relax. That seaside village thing really did kind of capture the way it was. It was kind of quiet and um, secluded, and uh, you could get a bite to eat and just kind of hang around and still get that Disney vibe, but without going into the Magic Kingdom. So over time, uh, they decided to evolve the idea. So the concept continued to evolve, and they kept coming up with more and more things that they wanted to put into it. So shops changed and restaurants changed and you know, they kept adding more to it. And then in 1989, they decided they wanted to open something called Pleasure Island. And the great thing about it is the Disney company came up with a whole theme, a whole backstory for Pleasure Island and what it was. And um, I listened to a, uh, a podcast that uh, Lou Mangello did where he had Jim Corcus on, and he was talking about uh, the, um, the history of Pleasure Island. And I won't bore you with the details. Essentially, Mr. Pleasure docked his steamship there, which is the Empress Lily, and then he uh, he founded this uh, this this uh, place called Pleasure Island, and so he had different clubs and shops and restaurants that were really unique, and it was just such a fun place to go into. Uh, it was it was this entertainment and shopping district. Um, so the stores were open from 10:30 a.m. to 2 a.m. and restaurants from 11 a.m. to 1 a.m. Uh, let's see, it officially opened on May 1st, 1989, and I was probably there two weeks after it opened. I would guess somewhere in that range. Uh, so it was just uh, just kind of one of those fun things. And the, one of the neat things was, so it was this, this closed-off uh, experience. You'd walk in, and uh, you, you had to pay an admission. It was like, I don't know, 10 or $11 to get in. You could spend all night and go in and out of as many clubs as you wanted to. You'd get a wristband when you first went in, and they'd check your ID to make sure you're over 21. They'd give you the wristband. You could order alcohol in any of the clubs. But as you went along, you went and saw these different things and were able to kind of wander in and out of the shops, go in and out of the clubs, and have some fun with it. And one of the little things that I learned shortly after starting to go there was that because the shops and restaurants were open earlier in the day, they actually put the turnstiles out in front of uh, Pleasure Island at about, I think it was about 6 o'clock in the evening. So if you got into Pleasure Island before 6 o'clock in the evening, you didn't have to pay. You could just stay there and then you could go get your wristband while you were inside. So uh, being the college student that I was and trying to save my money for other things, uh, I was. Uh, I would often do that. Some friends and I would head down there, you know, and have some dinner. We'd go down around five o'clock and have some dinner and just hang out and uh, stay around a- until it became Pleasure Island. And it was it was really pretty neat. There was a lot of fun things to do there, and I it was it was a, it was a club scene. Yet it was very family friendly. You'd see a lot of families there until maybe about ten o'clock at night, and then after that it would become much more um, you know, lively, and there'd be you know more college students and more things happening there. But uh, I had a really good time just kind of hanging around and uh, doing different things um, while I was there. So what I thought I'd do is kind of take you into the clubs that were, that were there, kind of walking in through the, uh, through the main entrance and kind of take you through what they were and sort of their history for each one of them, what they were and became. So you had, um, if you went through the main entrance, you came up and you were walking into uh, the, the main stretch where on your right was the Pleasure Island Jazz Company. So the Pleasure, Island, the Pleasure Island Jazz Company was this fun place to go in, and you could just—they'd have different live jazz music, musicians sitting up there and just playing uh, throughout the evening. So you kind of wander in, you could order a drink, and just sit down and listen to some really good jazz music. They'd have uh, very contemporary people in there playing. Sometimes it was 
big name acts. Never really knew who you were going to get, uh, though if you knew who to call, you could call ahead and find out who they'd be before you'd even go. That one actually happened, opened in 1993, and before that it was called Meriwether's Market, and it was a food court. Uh, so you could go in there, and that was one of the places we used to go and eat um, the first couple of years that it was open, but I really enjoyed it much more as the uh, jazz music. Uh, it was a really kind of a fun place. Now that, pl- that location is the Raglan Road Pub, so you can go in there and get the uh, Irish food. And that opened in 2005, but that was uh, kind of late in its tenure. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd only been in, in the uh, Raglan Road uh, Irish Pub once. So you'd walk in, you'd see that on your, on your right. Um, and then as you looked up above that was the Fireworks Factory uh, restaurant. And the Fireworks Factory was kind of a fun place. And I, as I recall, the food was all kind of you know spicy food and different things like that. And it was decorated with all these props from the fireworks. And that goes along with the backstory of the uh, family being in the pyrotechnic business or something, the pleasure family being in the pyrotechnic business. So it was you know kind of themed up nicely. It was right in there. And then on top of the uh, the fireworks factory was a giant picture of Jessica Rabbit. And Jessica Rabbit is swinging her leg and it just looking just like Jessica Rabbit. And it's just an awesome, I, I have a recollection of her sitting up there and just swinging her leg. And just it was just this really cool thing because at the time Roger Rabbit was still big and it was still kind of a growing thing. And they had some neat ideas and they were trying to incorporate more of the Roger Rabbit themes around uh, Walt Disney World. So Jessica Rabbit fit right in there because it was Pleasure Island and she worked a club. And so that kind of kind of fit in. It was pretty neat. So you'd walk in there. Uh, on your right, you'd have that stuff. And on the left, you had the uh, Mannequin's Dance Palace. Um, and Mannequin's was this interesting place. You, it was supposed to be this old factory. And uh, you'd walk in, and the, uh, the factory was set up. So you had to go, wait, when you waited in line to go in, you'd finally get in, and you'd go actually go in an elevator and go up to the second floor. And you'd get off into these catwalks. Then you had to walk across the catwalks and then down to get to the dance floor and the bar. And it was really pretty neat because you'd stand up there and you just realize just how massive this building was and how many people were in there. And you could see that the dance floor was moving. It uh, was a giant turntable, so the dance floor would be moving as you were on it. So you'd go down to the dance floor and you'd kind of have some fun dancing around and it would be moving around for you uh, under your feet. And that was always kind of an interesting thing to have happen. You know, the first couple times you do it, you're like, wait, is the dance floor moving? And uh, that was kind of fun. You meet a lot of interesting people in there. Yeah, totally dance music, but that's okay. It was just you know just a fun time to go and and hang out and really kind of enjoy yourself. Uh, so that was that was always fun. That was a that was a good time. So what was the fireworks factory became uh, later became the uh, Wild Horse Saloon, and that worked that fit into the theme of having a country western type place in uh, in the Pleasure Island complex. After another place closed, so that kind of fits in. And then at some point, they changed it again to something that was called Motion that was a, a top 40 uh, music video type uh, establishment. So that kind of evolved over time. So that was kind of neat, uh, the way that worked out. As you'd kind of come around the corner, the next place you'd see was the Rock and Roll Beach Club. And I loved the Rock and Roll Beach Club when it first opened. So it was it's actually a three-level um, club, and they'd have live bands playing in there as well. And as you go in, the bottom level was a full bar, uh, had a dance floor, and that's where the live bands would play. Uh, there was always a buffet of snacks before uh, the nighttime entertainment every night, and you could, so you could start to just, just pig out while you were standing there, uh, as long as you were drinking. The second level used to be a skating rink, so uh, it would encircle the entire place. So you could, you could actually strap on some skates and skate around on the second floor, and it was always kind of fun. And it went up and down a little bit. I think it may have actually gone down and looked into the first floor and come back up. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then the top level was a restaurant, and they served some food up there. I, I don't remember what. It might have been pizza or something, but it was, it was a lot of fun. 
Um, and the skating rink was always a problem just because people would get hurt or they'd be drunk or whatever. But I got to tell you, there was nothing quite like that. You'd go into this club and you'd just be having a good time. It'd be sort of beachy music, beachy themed music. So maybe you'd have the Beach Boys in there, you know, Beach Boys cover band playing in there or whatever. And it was always kind of fun. That was a that was a fun place to go. At some point, they stopped the uh, roller rink and they just changed it to. Uh, I guess the second level was also just like seating, and you could have uh, just people listening to the music down on the first floor. I think there was a like an opening so the music would come up, and you could hear the music on the second floor. And I think they just set up some seating there so you could kind of hear it and hang out. So really different. Uh, another fun place to go. Uh, you know, just kind of enjoy that. Um, so as you went along, uh, on, as you went along through there, on your left as you came up was the um, the place that was called Eight Tracks when it finally closed, and this was a 1970s and very early 80s uh, themed dance club, and they'd have women dancing in cages, and they'd have like all these you know tie dye stuff going on in the 70s sort of stuff happening, and it was people would dress you know very 70s with the big hair and the whole thing, and it was. It was actually a lot of fun. I wasn't sure about it when it first opened. I was like, A-Tracks, gee, is that going to be any good? But it was actually very clever, very well-themed. A lot of fun to just kind of hang out in there. Um, before that, uh, it was called uh, Videopolis. Um, and they had uh, they would play music videos on, I think it was 170 screens they had in there, and they would just play videos, music videos all the time. And so it was kind of a club, and you just sit there and watch music videos. They evolved that concept after about a year or two of having it open as Videopolis and called it The Cage, and it was more 80s, you know, late 80s types of music. I still remember sitting there the first time I ever heard Right Said Fred sing, I'm Too Sexy for um, My Shirt, or however the song, I'm Too Sexy. Uh, that song, uh, I saw that for the first time there, and I laughed my ass off. I, I just, and I laughed so hard, it was, it was great. So uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And they used to have, you know, people dressed up maybe in... Uh, in, in sort of 80s garb, you know, uh, traditional with traditional 80s type things with the you know the the spiky hair and different things and some you know some leather and chains and stuff like that, and the uh, drinks were all these uh, fluorescent uh, drinks that would go around so they'd be like neon green um, shots and stuff like that. That was that was actually kind of fun and they'd serve them in like test tubes and it was it was a very clever again a very clever um, thing that they had going on, and that was my I think that was my favorite club to go into overall. And when it became eight tracks, it was still good, but I liked it better when it was uh, when it was uh, the cage. So you'd go on a little further, and uh, you came up to the end, and there was uh, three things down, four things actually down at the end. So as you kind of looked toward the end, you'd see to your right was the Adventurers Club. And I got to tell you, the first time I went into the Adventurers Club, I walked in, I walked around for like ten or fifteen minutes, and I I didn't get it. I, I just simply didn't get it. The the effect was lost on me the first time I went in. I'm walking around, I'm going, okay, so it's like a giant library or, you know, sitting room or these different rooms you could go into. It just happened that I, I made it in in between when the, uh, when the performers came out. And so it was lost on me that first time, and I didn't go back in there for a while. And a friend of mine was going, no, 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 it's really good. You've got to go in and see the show. And once I saw the show um, and sat around and listened to the different stories and the adventurers, I thought it was just great. It was a really fun place to go, and I can see why people remember it fondly. Uh, it was just it was just one of those really neat things. It was just very different. Um, so you can see how each one of these has its own theme and is very different. And every night you could go to a different club and enjoy something different that was going on. That's what I think. That's what made it really neat. Um, I, I just really enjoyed that. Uh, and then next to that was the um, BET Soundstage Club. So this was a hip hop and R and B dance club um, operated by the Black Entertainment Television. Um, this one, uh, this one was open uh, in 1998, and so it was. It was actually a you know a place where you could go and just uh, listen to hip hop music and so forth. Uh, 
Before that, it was called the Neon Armadillo, and that was the country western uh, place that they used to have. So you'd go in there and you'd listen to country western music. Now, I'm not a particular fan of country western music, but I thought they did a very good job of theming it and keeping it really active and making it interesting for people who do like uh, country music. And sometimes they'd get a big country star in there to play, and it was always kind of fun. You know, you'd, you'd hear the hype and everything. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of country music, but it was it was uh, fun to go in there once in a while and see some things. So when they opened the BET soundstage and they moved the, the country western theme over, they moved it to the Wild Horse Saloon, so that way they kept the theme going, because um, there are a fair number of people who do like country music, and they could change some of the other things, but that one they wanted to keep going. On the left, as you looked across, was the Comedy Warehouse. And the Comedy Warehouse was this place where they'd have uh, different stand-up acts. I think they'd do three or four stand-up acts from like 8 to 11.30 or something like that, where they'd have different people standing, doing stand-up uh, comedy. And you got all the big-name stars to come in there. At various times, you'd hear, every, you'd hear from anybody coming in uh, who was a, who was a big-name star in the early, say, 1990s. And uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. So I caught a, caught a couple of shows in there at various times and really enjoyed the shows that I saw. Um, to be honest with you, I can't remember who I saw there and who I saw somewhere else outside of uh, Pleasure Island, but I, I do remember seeing several acts in there. And just really enjoying myself. Good stand-up comedy, a lot of fun just to kind of hang out and uh, just relax and enjoy myself. So that was the, uh, the main, the main uh, venues. Then the last venue was the West End Stage. And the West End stage was used for a um, revolving door of different acts that would come in. They'd bring in different performers who would come there and, and play, and they'd play like maybe one show there, uh, do it in the evenings, and if you knew about it, you could go in advance, and if you didn't know about it, you might just happen on it. Uh, so I used to keep in touch with uh, a couple of cast members there and find out all the different performers who would be there and just go out and see them. By far, the greatest performer I ever saw there was Weird Al Yankovic. Now, I'll admit, I'm a Weird Al fan. I, I just like his uh, his offbeat kind of brand of humor, and I really enjoyed going there. And it was it was just this amazing place. We went in there. It was me and a friend, and we went in, and we were we were standing right there. Uh, we were probably about it was standing room only, and it was uh, we were maybe about three or four deep from the stage, and it was just an incredible sing along. It was so funny. Everybody knew all the words to all his songs. He did costume changes. He had props. He had all kinds of things happening. It was totally dynamic and interactive. It was unbelievable. It was so much fun. Um, I'll, I'll never forget seeing that show there. That was just one of those great moments in time where I just saw something. That I'll, I'll, it was just incredible. It was just it was just a blast. Um, so, and I saw several other acts perform there. You know, smaller acts. You know, you wouldn't have any uh, any really big acts perform there. They'd they'd go somewhere else to a larger venue. But you'd have different acts performing there and having some fun and just uh, doing some fun things. And then the greatest part was at midnight. So. All the way along the streets, they'd have different uh, different groups, like every 20 minutes or half hour or so, they'd have different groups come out and dance and you know, kind of get the crowd riled up again. But then at midnight, they'd have a giant countdown. Every night was New Year's Eve. So starting at about 11.45, they'd tell you it was 15 minutes to New Year's. And they'd start counting it down. And it'd get to midnight, and they'd shoot off confetti, and they'd play Old Lang Syne and the whole thing. And it was like it was New Year's. It was an incredible thing to see every every night, every time you were there. If you hung around, you, you got to really experience it and enjoy it. It was really quite a lot of fun just to uh, just to take that in and be a part of it. And uh, that was that was really neat. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, just having that that experience uh, pretty much every night. And there was a lot of shops and restaurants uh, that were uh, centered around there, uh, different places you could go. Um, so you could go into the um, Oh, and of course, there were fireworks during New Year's Eve as well. 
Uh, so they'd be shooting off fireworks uh, as you as you were standing there at midnight. So it was really an exciting time to make you think it was it was midnight on New Year's Eve. So there were a number of different interesting stores that were in there. Uh, one of the things was a uh, was a place that was a uh, uh, that allowed you to get. There was a uh, there was a place that uh, made music videos for you, so you could actually dance in your own music video, and it would make the music video. And I remember this one distinctly because a friend of mine wanted to get a job there. I, I'm not sure what the story was exactly; I don't remember. But uh, she was interested in getting a job there, and she went in, and she interviewed, and she had the right uh, motivation and everything. But I guess they decided at some point that uh, that wasn't that wasn't the right she wasn't the right fit, and they didn't hire her. Or she had some other commitment she couldn't get out of. But it was a it was called Superstar Studios, and it was this new thing they were doing where they were trying to get more interactive videos and sell videos of you performing in different things. Um, so that was that was kind of fun. And there was a whole bunch of other stores there that were just different uh, things that. Um, that they you didn't see anywhere else, and uh, it was just it was just so much fun to go in there and just hang around and tool around for a while and just just enjoy yourself. I mean, it was just it really was a taste of Disney without it being uh, the Magic Kingdom uh, or any of the other parks for that matter. It was just a lot of fun to go out there and uh, hang out. So the thing was that once it got to be about um, 2006, they had a declining. Um, ticket sales. They weren't getting as many people coming in, and uh, they, they started, they wanted to change the theming a little bit to make it a little bit more, um, a little bit more interesting, perhaps a little different. So they started uh, taking away some of the free entertainment, quote unquote, and uh, started changing up the way that they uh, managed some of the stages and didn't bring as many acts in and didn't have as many uh, performances going on during the night. Uh, and what tended to happen was you started to get groups of teenagers uh, congregating there. And instead of being this family-friendly sort of thing or this place where, you know, 21-something-year-olds would, uh, uh, would go and have some fun, it became something more like, uh, you know, a teen hangout. And there were a couple of incidents where there were some teens injured, and I think there may have been a couple of fights and different things like that. And that's certainly not what Disney had in mind um, when, they, when they brought this out there. So, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was another thing where you just didn't... It, it was something else that you thought was, uh, was probably destined... It was something that was destined to uh, to end at some point when they uh, when they changed the whole theme. So now it's something completely different. It's just part of the whole uh, downtown Disney um, complex. So you have the West Side, the original downtown Disney, and then you have the um, you have the uh, what used to be the uh, Pleasure Island section that they're kind of renovating to be. I guess they're going to call it the East Side or something like that. So it's kind of neat the way they're they're doing it. I, I don't know that it's going to you know it will never recapture that same thing for me, but I. You know, I respect what they're doing and how they're doing it, and kind of changing the the thought a little bit about it. I think you know the idea of these different um, themed uh, type uh, clubs and so forth probably has run its course. I think it's probably time to do something different. Um, that's just the nature of the, the beast, right? Things change from time to time. So I guess I'm not surprised that that that, that had to happen at some point. Uh, Church Street Station certainly is around no longer. Certainly not in the way it was. So everything changes, but. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that I wanted to point out to you was that as you entered, when you bought the tickets, you were buying them from from what looked like a ticket booth, but it was actually an old railroad car. And those railroad cars were actually used uh, back in Fort Wilderness, back when they used to have a railroad that ran through Fort Wilderness to take people from one end to the other. Before they used to bring buses in there, they used to uh, just have a railroad going around in a, in a big loop. So you could get from one end of the uh, of the complex to the other uh, and get to your campsite and whatever using the uh, railroad system and then go out to the central bus station and take the buses out rather than having buses drive around in there. And when they discontinued the railroad, they uh, used two of the railroad cars to, 
to make them the ticket booths. And uh, you can still see those. They're sitting by the entrance. Uh, they haven't removed them. Well, at least at the last time I was there, they hadn't removed them. Um, so that was, uh, was kind of neat. Um, it, it, you know, just one little piece of trivia there for you. Uh, but, the, you know, the concept was certainly there. And like I said, I spent a lot of, a lot of evenings there just kind of hanging around. Got a lot of fond memories of going to each of the clubs and, you know, having some fun with my friends and just, uh, you know, being a, being a college student. And uh, really something special. Um, you know, and I'll always remember it as, uh, as being something that, uh, that it is no more. You can, of course, always find my podcast on iTunes under Dave's Disney View. Um, or feel free to visit my website at davesdisneyview.shorturl.com. And I'm hoping to, uh, to bring you some more great podcasts in the future, some things I hope you like. But please do email me anytime at davesdisneyview at gmail.com and let me know what you think or something you'd like to hear more about. And that's my show for this week. I am out. I'll see you. We've reached our destination in the 21st century. And I know, it went by so fast. But don't worry, the future is always in front of us. Hey, thanks for joining me on Dave's Disney View podcast for this week. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to email me at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Now, gather your personal belongings and step off onto the moving platform. The platform and your car are moving at equal and opposite speeds. The music you're hearing on this podcast is actually from a friend of the show named Craig Brown. You can check him out at ReverbNation.com slash SoundA, as in Apple, or MySpace.com slash SoundA. Craig does a number of different things. Uh, this particular piece is called A Major Suspension, Suspended Glory. So please do check him out, and we thank Craig for his music. 